Thank y'all. Julia, wish you wouldn't leave. Mm. You've been a blessing. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you in your new adventures. Your students, you're dismissed. Greetings. Uh, welcome to Christ Community Church. Happy as heck y'all could be here. Uh, my bride's back. Hooray. I'm, I'm happy as heck to be uh, here. She, she came back yesterday afternoon and I was standing in the driveway <laughs> <laughs> waiting. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's, a literal, that, that's actually true. That's the actual truth. I was standing in the driveway waiting for her. Um, this has been uh, uh, not a bad week. It's been a great week for me. But it's been a overwhelming week for me. And uh, what we're going to talk about today sort of flows out of the week I've had. Uh, the longer the week, or the further the week went, the more this sort of built on itself over and over again. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, but our room is full of people that I talked to this week. Uh, talked, being on the phone, in person, uh, via email, via text. Uh, but I communicated with um, a lady who has uh, a mass in her brain. Uh, I talked to one of her dear friends who is very, very, very upset and sad and scared for her. Come in, come in. We still got some good seats. Welcome. Um, Talked to a lady this week whose um, partner uh, has got some terrible, terrible uh, physical problems and they don't really know where to turn to find solutions or answers. Talked to a dear friend of mine who's going to have to go to the doctor this week for some tests um, about some very, very potentially uh, devastating health challenges. Uh, talk to uh, his parents and just, you know, one thing for you to face your own health problems, another thing have to walk through that with your child or your grandchild. Uh, Jim, you and Susan understand that. Um, talk to a lady who's, again, whose husband um, is going through a similar journey that your mom and dad went through a couple of years ago. Talk to a lady who's... Uh, their family's just in the worst, think of the worst situation you could imagine, and hers is worse. Uh, Talked to a lady in our church, actually two ladies in our church, whose dads are living with them and uh, going through similar situations that your mom had with your dad. And uh, both of them said the exact same thing. We knew this was going to be hard and challenging, we had no idea how hard and challenging it is. Um, talked to a couple whose 
holding on their, by the, regarding their marriage by a thread. Um, Abby, uh, Abby, uh, uh, Vicky and, and Abel walked in just a minute ago. I don't know where y'all are. Oh, right back there in the back. I'll just, let's just say your names. And that says enough. Talked to another lady who's needed to walk away from a destructive, abusive uh, marriage for 15 years. And she called me this week and said, I'm finally going to do that. And it's going to be horrible. Would you pray for me? And I could go on and on and on. Um, uh, People who have lost dear, precious, close loved ones. Uh, that they're going to miss terribly. Um, that was just this week. And I didn't even include everybody. I didn't mention everybody. Um, I'm not going out of town again. That's great. <laughs> Hooray. I told you not to go. Uh, no, that's not. I'm but, uh, yeah. So, you know, you, you, if you care about these people, then you enter into their... you know, into their bad places and you hurt with them, makes you sad, and you feel like you're supposed to carry that with them. Um, and I didn't even mention many of you who I didn't talk to. The, I talked to those people this week. I didn't even include all the people that, uh, that are sitting here today that I know have got equally terrible, unsettling, uncertain lives. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's, what I wanna, that's what I want us to talk about today for a little while. Uh, Turk and I were talking to a lady yesterday around his dining room. I was about to go on my Jericho march and pray for y'all and my phone uh, I don't know if it rang or is a text, but Turk goes, hey, I need you to come over to my house right now and help me talk to this lady. And I said, okay. So anyway, I went over there and, and her situation's as bad as any of the other ones I've mentioned. Um, so that's what I want us to talk about. How should we approach these kinds of bad, hard uncertain times. And so I was going to let you sort of kick us off here, friend. Well, Larry asked me to look at Jeremiah 29. You don't have to open up. I think it might be up there. Uh, Verse 11. And it's a verse uh, that we know. Everybody's got it on a plaque or a bumper sticker, you know. You know, you wear it on a shirt, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And you might even say it to somebody who is hurting when you don't know what to say. And so you might say something along these lines. This is what the Lord says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Yeah, there it is. But, so that's it. Full stop. There's a period there. So we stop and we say, well, that's, that's it. Hooray. Hooray. What a great promise from the Lord. But... Pay attention to the first verse of Jeremiah 29 because we can't just extract things and 
and take them out of context. Who, who did God make that promise to? That's the question. Who's God promising that future and a hope and, you know, I'm going to prosper you and all those good things. Who good did thing, God no promise disaster. that to? Um, if you've got the little tags in your Bible, mine says a letter to the exiles. Jeremiah 29 and the verse 1 says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King, King Nebuchadnezzar. So these were people enslaved, I think, um, and in exile away from their home, uh, out of town, under a, a, a wicked king, under a pagan king, anyway. No, a wicked king is a good description. It and, would be similar to the people of Ukraine that had been driven out of their land, and now they're living in different countries hundreds and thousands of miles away from Ukraine, and they have nothing. They have nary nothing. And someone writes them a letter, someone they know from their you, homeland. Yeah, from Ukraine. And says, this is from the Lord. I know, and they're hunkered down somewhere. Living in a tent camp. Um, they're most likely, their loved ones have been killed. Their business is destroyed. Their home's destroyed. Their family's scattered, and they probably don't know where a lot of their family is. And so they get a letter that says, hey. This is what the Lord says. The Lord's got plans for you to prosper you and give you a future and a hope. Wonder what that, uh, how they took that. <laughs> yeah. I think perhaps maybe as we take things, we try to balance things. Or I think, I, I should speak for myself, try to balance things. This is terrible. And this is hopeful. Where do I live? How can I live? Between terrible and hopeful. I'll give one anecdote and then toss it back to you. So this week while I was in Asheville, my phone got full of pictures. Uh, full. You know how your stuff gets full and you have to spread it all out. So I was going through pictures and videos and type, putting them my up. My phone's never been full. He doesn't have a single picture on his phone, not one. Phone, so I but I have many. And putting them other places, deleting things, whatever. And in that process of getting rid of, making more storage on my phone, I found a picture of my mother um, the day or two before my father's funeral where I was over at her house and we were trying, she was trying to decide what to wear. So she has put out these several different outfits. She wanted me to help her decide what to wear. Excuse me. Mother, if you were watching, please forgive the next thing I'm about to say. In the picture, so I took pictures of them and then showed her the pictures, you know. So I, I'd forgotten about that. And so I found them in my phone. Again, Mother, I'm sorry. She looked terrible. She just looked sad. She was sad. She was picking out the outfit to wear to her husband's or beloved's funeral, and she was and she was sad. That was January 2021. Friday night, this past Friday night, my mother was in a play. She was the mother superior of the sound of music. I'm just saying she had a real role <laughs> at her retirement village. Wonder who will do that kind of... Oh, I'm totally doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me what, what, 20 years? Maybe yeah. not that. I don't know. Um, 
I texted her, how was the play? She said, it was a smash. We had two standing ovations. And I'd just seen that picture of when all was lost. And now, it's, it's, it's way better. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's better than way better. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, she's, it's good. She's a great life. She had a terrible experience, experience multi-year experience. Ten years. That uh, it was, inevit- it was uh, unavoidable for her and for any of us in the room that have gone through horrendous seasons of blackness and pain and uncertainty to not project this is so bad and it's not only bad today it's going to define my future you just plod through there's no way that that this isn't going to last forever even if it changes because your dad was going to pass away but the horribleness of that was going to hell. Y'all sang that song, which is based on Psalm 23. Surely God's goodness is going to... Running after me. Running after me or pursuing me. or The the literal word is hound me. Hound me like a dog would chase me. God's goodness is going to chase me. But if we're not careful, we get into these black, dark, painful places... And what we really convince ourselves of is that it's not God's goodness that's going to chase us for the rest of our life. That it's going to be the pain and the darkness and the, 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 just all of that is going, to, is going to chase us, pursue us, run after us forever. It's very significant when you, you know, we want to read Jeremiah 29.11. But we rarely read Jeremiah 29.1. That that's who God's making that promise to. People that have lost everything. Slaves. And have gone through the most horrible of circumstances. And that's what God promises them. And then if you're a student of God's word, which I pray every day that you will be, and maybe this will entice you to start doing it if you haven't been, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are the fulfillment of, Je- of uh, Jeremiah 29 11. That's how God's goodness and mercy pursues the Israelites that are in captivity. God orchestrates things so that Ezra and Nehemiah can lead the people of God back to the promised land and experience a new life. And then you've got the book of Esther, which, because there's people that don't, they, they can't go back. And so they're sitting around like we all do when we sit, we're in a bad place, you're in a bad place, and your bad place goes away. And so I'm sitting there going, well, hey, it was okay when we both were in a bad place. It's okay if we're both in a bad place, and it's okay if we're both in a good place. But you're, we, you were in a bad place. Now your bad place has become a good place. What about me? I got gypped. I got left out. Both of our marriages sucked. We're okay. Both of us have kids that are terrible. We're okay. You get victory and, you know, and all that good stuff. 
My situation hadn't changed. That's why God wrote the book of Esther. What about the people that didn't get to go back home? Did God forget about them? Did God abandon them? Did God move on with that? No, no, no. Read the book of Esther and you go, oh, even the people that didn't get to go back home. God had God's goodness and mercy chased after the people that were left behind. That's why we ought to read the Old Testament. It's a good deal. Um, We are reminded every day of the badness, the hardness, and the uncertainty of our world. I mentioned the war in Ukraine, the environment, politics, God help us, um, our, the family situation in our country, but just in our community, job situation, health challenges. Our lives are so fragile, unstable, and unreliable. And the Bible never, just let you, in case somebody's confused, the Bible never encourages us to be little Pollyannas. Oh, things aren't that bad. Let's find the bright, uh, shining lining, or whatever you call that. Uh, you know, we're, let's, 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 let's pretend that there aren't real problems and pain. And if we pretend long enough, they'll just go away. That is nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture. The Bible would tell us that these problems, this uncertainty, is real and it's scary. And the bad news is it's unavoidable. As your mentor has said to us on numerous occasions, if you live long enough, you get a turn. Maybe today everything's good. Keep living. (laughs) You'll get a turn. Okay? And yet, While the Bible never tells us that we should pretend everything's great when it's not, it does repeatedly tell us that we ought to respond to the uncertainty, the badness, the hardness, differently than everybody else. Austin and Cleo have got lots of challenges in their lives. We have talked about it and prayed about it literally now for several years. And I have entered into your family through those pains. It's not all bad. It's lots of blessings and great things, but you've got some challenges. For us to pretend like everything's great when it's not all great, that's not, that's not right. But the Bible does challenge y'all and Karun and Annie and Peggy and my mom and Robin and everybody else. We are supposed to respond to these problems and pain and this uncertainty differently than the rest of the world. You might say, well, where does it say that? Well, how about in Isaiah chapter 8? God says, don't call everything a conspiracy that other people call a conspiracy. Well, Fox News and CNN would have shut down, wouldn't they? If they weren't allowed to call things conspiracies. 
don't call everything a conspiracy that other people call a conspiracy. And don't live in dread of what other people dread. You might say, well, that's not fair. Well, take it up with the person that wrote that. Okay? Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, Don't fear people who can kill your body, but not your soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy your soul and body. And remember that that person values you more than all of his other creatures to the point that he has even numbered the hairs of your head. That's how much he cares about us. And then one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Luke 12, 32, where Jesus says, Do not fear, little flock, for it pleases your Father to give you the kingdom. Don't fear, little flock, for it pleases your Father to give you the kingdom. Don't fear, little flock, sheep. For it pleases your father, that means God's my dad, to give you the kingdom. That means I'm a prince. My dad's the king and the shepherd. And I'm a sheep, his sheep, his child, and his prince. Don't fear. There are times in your life and in my life where things are scary and uncertain and hard. And I've just been thinking all week about all those parables and illustrations and stories in the life of Jesus which communicates how God relates to us or at least how God appears to relate to us at times. Remember times in your life when God appears appeared to be asleep your life is going to Hades in a basket I mean wartime conditions all uh, sailors on deck <laughs> we've got a major offensive that we got we're fighting for our lives where's God oh he's asleep in the front of the boat he appears that way times when God appears like an unjust judge Remember that lady? Judge, I'm being treated unfairly. I'm being wronged. I've been taken advantage of. Help me. Be my judge. Be my defender. Be my shield. Make things right. And it seems like the voice of the judge is, I don't care about you or anybody else. He appears that way. Times he appears like an uncaring neighbor. Remember the dude who had the middle of the night and he has a visitor come to him. Jesus is telling this parable and the visitor comes and the neighbor runs to his next door neighbor and says, Hey, I've got out of town guests that have arrived unexpectedly. I need some food. Would you loan me some? And the neighbor goes, I'm asleep in bed with my family. Quit bugging me. 
times when God appears like an unjust judge, like a demanding judge, like a demanding king or homeowner, when all he, he, he rides up, here's your list of duties and responsibilities, get to work, work hard. I have a lot of expectations for you. Times when God appears like an absentee friend. Remember when Mary and Martha, their brother dies. And when Jesus finally shows up, what do both of them say separately? Both of them say the exact same thing. If you had been here, your best friend wouldn't have died. But he wasn't there. At least it appeared as so. Times when our Heavenly Father doesn't seem like He's there. Yes, the prodigal son made bad decisions that wound him up in the big sty. But where was his dad? Where was his dad? He said, well, that was his fault. Okay, let's say it was the prodigal son's fault. You ever wind up in bad places that were your fault? But you still want God there. And the dad wasn't. Those stories all communicate images of how we think God is relating to us at times. And then we see God's favorites throughout the Bible validating that. God's favorites, they went through experiences and situations and seasons where they felt like God was distant, God was angry, God was distracted, God was somewhere else. Abraham and Sarah for 25 years, they waited on God to fulfill this promise. Where was God's promise? Where was the answer to the promise God had given them? They waited and they waited. Joseph in Egypt for years, he rotted in prison. Gideon, I mentioned this a week or two ago. It's one of my favorite stories uh, in Judges where this angel appears to Gideon. Gideon's hiding down in a hole trying to scrape up a little food for his family. And this angel says, Greetings, O mighty warrior of God. And Gideon's response is, uh, Yeah, that God you mentioned. I've heard a bunch of stories about all these great things he's done for other people. He hadn't done jack for us. Where is he? Now, in every one of these situations, it was not the end of the story. But moments where God does not seem to be involved in his, the lives of his favorites like we would think and like we would wish. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, Where's God? I'm, I'm a covenant. I'm, I'm one of Abraham's daughters. A, a, a part of the covenant plan of God. God's promised to, His goodness and mercy will, will chase me all the days of my life. And what I've got is a dead husband, dead boys, living in a foreign land with nothing. So despondent and 
broken and miserable and faithless was Naomi, that she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. My name is not pleasant. My name is bitterness. And I could go on. David in the caves. Hey, David, you're, my plan for you is to make you king. And then this long season where David's living in caves while Saul's living in the, in the palace. That's the, that can't be right. The bad guy's in the palace and the good guy's in the cave. You ever go through times where the bad guy's in the good place and the good guy's in the bad place? Sure. Some of you younger people, you haven't yet, but you'll see that. You'll experience that. And one of my favorites, we, those of you reading through the Bible with me, one of my favorite examples of what I'm talking about, God gives Ezekiel this, uh, which Ezekiel's a tough book. <laughs> it's just a tough book. But right in the middle of Ezekiel, this great passage pops up, and God gives Ezekiel this vision of the glory of God. Here's the problem. You know where the glory of God is? It's not in Israel. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in the temple. It's in Babylon. Wait! God's glory can't be in Babylon. God's glory dwells in Jerusalem. In Israel. In the temple. No. There are times when the glory of God is in a foreign land. And I could go on and on and on. God continually promises that, and in these stories, He not only promised, He proved that He wasn't unaware, He wasn't uninvolved, he wasn't unconcerned, and he wasn't unloving. He was aware, he was there, he was concerned, and he was at work. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 7, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, give himself, to those that love Him. And in Psalm 31, how abundant are the good things that God has stored up for all who fear Him and take refuge in Him. I just wanted to leave y'all today with a unique reminder and source of encouragement. And that is that God has committed. This isn't just something that He would like to do for us. This isn't something that He wishes for, or hopes for, or desires to do, or would like to do if everything else works out. But God has committed His unlimited his eternal power, His strength to making sure that our hard, bad, uncertain todays don't equal 
a hard, bad, uncertain future. I want to say that one more time. God has committed His unlimited, eternal, omnipotent power to making sure that our hard, our bad, and our uncertain todays do not equal, do not define, do not determine what our future is going to look like. It doesn't equal a hard, bad, uncertain future. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 1. God says, or Paul says, I want you to grasp the incomparable great power that God has committed to us who believe. It's the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Did you hear that? God has committed to Melody and Turk and Jason and Ann and Anthony and Sarah and Mike and Gail the same... He has committed His power to giving you a future that is not determined by your today. And it's the same power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead. Paul loves to say that. He says it over and over and over again. When he wants you and I to get a glimpse of the power that God has committed to us and to our good, he normally compares it to the power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. Psalm 44 says that God's people did not gain their salvation or the promised land by their strength or their swords, but rather they gained it by your right hand and your favor. Psalm 20 says, I'm convinced that the Lord gives success to His anointed. He responds from heaven with the victorious power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 118 says, The Lord's strong right arm is raised in triumph the Lord's strong right arm has done glorious things. Therefore, I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell of the glorious things that God has done for me. What are those verses saying? What's the message, the underlying message with all of those verses? God has committed His power the power He used to create the universe, the power that He uses to keep this whole deal running, and the power that He used to raise His Son from the dead, He has committed that power to making sure that my hard, bad, uncertain today will not equal a hard, bad, uncertain future one day. And the reason that's such a big deal is because if you and I do not have a strong faith 
a strong hope, a strong confidence of that. That God has got a future for me that is good and great and wonderful and prosperous. When and where and how that is manifested, I don't know. And you don't either. Now watch these TV dudes, they'll tell you they know. But they don't. But either I believe that or I don't. And if I don't believe that God has a future for me that is good. And that He's got the power to make it good. Then when times get hard and bad and uncertain and dark. I will grow weary and I will quit. I will get weary I'll get afraid, I'll get discouraged, and I'll get, just like Jesus talked about, what was that in, uh, oh, Sucker Bill, the parable of the sower, uh, Matthew, Matthew 13. thank you, thank you, Matthew 13, what does Jesus say? There's a soil that the seed goes in and it sprouts and flourishes, but during times of persecution and difficulty, it falls away. I don't want to fall away. I don't want to go through times of hard, dark, bad, uncertainty. But when it happens, I don't want to fall away. And I don't want you to fall away. I want to show my grandson and my daughter and my wife and y'all that when I go through times of bad things, I cling to my confidence that God has got a future for me that is full of goodness. How that's going to work out and when and where, I don't know that. But the one that's promised it, I do know Him. And I can trust Him. I can take that to the bank. And it will give me the strength to get through these seasons of tough times. That's why that's so important. I don't know where you're headed next that's precisely, but I just, I wonder, you know, I was thinking of what the, the band sang, I will sing of the goodness of God, that song. Mm -hmm. And um, thinking about the pandemic and, you know, going through that, all, all that stuff <clears throat> as a bad thing. And I wonder, just practically, this is what I would say to my students, just practically speaking, I wonder if we spoke, I mean, like really the, the words that came out of her mouth are real speaking, um, as at least as much about the goodness of God as we spoke of our bad stuff. Mm. Now, in a perfect world, we would speak more, but let's just, let's, just, let's just go for a balance. If we spoke as much of the goodness of God as we spoke of our, our difficulties, which I do not negate, um, you know, sometimes our difficulties we have no control over. Things happen. We have no control over. Sometimes we do, but, but most, a lot of times, mostly, we don't. What we do have control over, what we do have a choice about, is the words that come out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And we have a choice about that. Yes. 90% of the time, I just need to zip it. But mm. if I were mm. to sing of the goodness 
of God, at least as much as I was saying the badness of earth or whatever's happening, to start, it's a practice, it's hopeful, I can try, it's a place to dig in and say. And it's not a matter of pretending the, the problem's no, not there. nothing pat either. There's the nothing, Lord, de- there's not nothing about denial, it's just choosing to focus on something good and of a hope of something better as a balance to the pain. I'll leave you with this and we're through. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, so we don't lose heart. Now that so means that what he just talked about was a bunch of bad stuff that he'd been going through. So we don't lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is daily being renewed. For this light and brief affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but rather to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Anything else? No, that's good. Those around us need somebody that will remind them of the things that are unseen. We get lots of reminders of the things that are seen. No problem being reminded of all the things that we are seen. Who's reminding those around you, your mate, your children, your parents, your grandchildren, your friends, your co-workers, who's reminding those people of the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal? Maybe God wants that to be your job and my job. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, Nobody can sell us on what we've talked about today. This isn't even something that I really believe that I can decide to do. God can do it though. God can give me a faith in Him that makes my optimism of the future greater than my discouragement of my present. He can give me that. And give you that too. Why don't before you come up here and. You know I just realized. I just was thinking. You know what we're eating and drinking today. Yes it's the symbol of Christ's body and blood. But it's also a symbol. Of the power that God used. To raise Jesus from the dead. And he has committed that same power. To giving you a bright and good future.
So before you come up here and get this, why don't you just in your seat bow your head and just ask God, God, would you supernaturally give me the ability to trust your power to give me a bright future? And when you've done that, you come up and you eat and drink and remember and give thanks.